Amen. Stella. Stella. How many guys? John, you remember that movie? Stella. Stella. Right. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. But this other Stella. How many guys remember that lady Stella? And she actually, back in the day, she actually sued McDonald's. Right. It was like $2.9 million or something. She actually won because she actually spilled. Or she did it. Their hot coffee, granted it was hot, but she spilled it in her own lap. It was her own doing. But she sued them and she actually won. Remember that account? Well, her name was Stella. And believe it or not, ever since then, they come out with these annual Stella Awards. And basically, it's the time to celebrate outrageous behavior like that. You've got to be kidding me, okay? Now, uh, let me share with you some other winners of the Stella Award. And you tell me if it's uh, pretty outrageous. But let's take a look, okay? This was in 2000. Kathleen Robertson of Austin, Texas, was awarded by a jury $780,000 after breaking her ankle inside of a furniture store after tripping over a toddler who was running around the store. All right, that makes sense. Here's the problem, though. Uh, the owners of the store were understandably surprised at the verdict, considering that the fact that the misbehaving toddler was Mrs. Robertson's own son. And yet she won $780,000. That's crazy. Check this out. 19-year-old Carl Truman of L.A. won $74,000 and medical expenses when his neighbor ran over his hand with the Honda Accord. Can you believe that? Well, what's this? Apparently, the problem was that Carl didn't notice his neighbor was behind the wheel of the car when he was trying to steal the hubcaps off his neighbor's car. <laughs> and yet the guy won that money and medical expenses. You gotta be kidding me. This one, Terrence Dixon, man, in Pennsylvania, I'm not making this up. He was leaving a house that he had just robbed by way of the garage. However, he was unable to get the garage door open since it was malfunctioning. And neither could he enter the house because the door connecting the house to the garage automatically locked and, uh, when he pulled it shut. So he's literally stuck in the garage. Since the family was, uh, the house was on uh, vacation, the family he robbed, he found himself locked in the garage, garage for eight days where he was able to stay alive on a case of Pepsi and he found a bag of dog food. How many guys ate that Purina dog shell growing up? The little nuggets? Yeah, you know you did it. Yeah, whatever. All right, maybe I did, but let's just move on. So listen, I kid you not, he sued the homeowner's insurance claiming the situation caused him undue mental anguish and believe it or not, the jury agreed to the tune of a half a million dollars. The guy rubbed that. You, you, anyway, well, that's right. But, and this one, this is crazy. Mr. Merv Grzynski of Oklahoma City, he purchased a brand new Kijanot 32-foot Winnebago motorhome. And on his first trip home, having just entered the freeway, he set the cruise control at 70 miles an hour and calmly left the driver's seat to go in the back and make himself a cup of coffee, right? It says cruise control just takes over. <laughs> Watch this. Not surprisingly, the motorhome left the freeway, crashed, overturned, and he sued Winnebago for not advising him in the handbook that he should shouldn't do this and he was awarded one and three quarter million dollars plus a brand new Winnebago and believe it or not Winnebago actually changed their handbooks after this case in case there's other Grzynski still at large out there <laughs> true stories if you can believe that now, now how many guys would say again that that's pretty outrageous man you got to be kidding me outrageous behavior but that's right folks you know the punchline is coming did you know that I have found at least me personally I think very confidently I found some even more outrageous behavior uh, than that okay and listen it's not just being done by a handful of people once a year listen it's being done by millions of people every single day of the year and can anybody guess who that is that's right unfortunately it's the American church when you and I walk around like we got this practical amnesia thing going on I mean, you talk about outrageous behavior. I mean, we say we know who we are as a church. Yeah, of course, everybody, I'm, I'm part of the church. But folks, let's be honest, half the times with our lips and our lives, we're giving a different impression. We're walking around acting like we don't even know who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. We've been seeing, hey, listen, it's not just detrimental in our walk with Christ. What's it do? It keeps other people from coming to Christ, okay? So to avoid this atrocity of you and I as Christians living like we got this practical amnesia thing by not knowing who we are, we're gonna continue our study on, from the word of God on the people of God entitled, guess what? The character of the church, okay? Now we've already seen by way of uh, backtracking the first thing we need to know about the church if we're gonna stop this practical amnesia thing is we are the body of Christ. We are not this building. This is a sanctuary. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. We don't belong to us. We belong to Jesus. It's his life. It's not ours. The second thing, we're a body of one. No matter what background, what pedigree, what size, shape, color, doesn't matter. We are all one in Jesus Christ, right? That's how we are to live our existence as the church. Then we saw the third thing was a body of hope okay there are no hopeless situation God's always on the throne right and we don't walk around no God is always in control there's always hope and then last time we saw the fourth thing kind of dovetailing off that was we are also to be a body of what 
joy. And there we saw the strange irony, if you can believe it, the American church, we're actually walking around joyless when the Bible says we should be joyful. And not just joyful, but it's Jesus' joy that we saw last time that he says, I will give to you. And he says, when I give it to you, I'm going to give it to you so you're totally complete. In other words, you got so much joy, it's just over the top, you can't even contain it. That's what we have from Jesus. And we said, well, how come we're not doing that? Well, as we saw, it's because, unfortunately, we've lost the joy of our salvation. Now, stop right there. How many guys did the experiment? You went home from last Sunday, and three times a day, you go to that mirror, and you just simply say, I'm not going to hell, I'm not going to hell, I'm not going to hell. Yeah! Praise God, two of you did. And that's why you're still smiling today. You got the news. That's right. Yeah, just, just we've lost the joy. Hey, what more has he got to do? Saved you from eternal damnation in hell? Isn't that enough to keep a smile on your face forever? Slightly, but that's just number one. We've lost the joy of our salvation. We've lost our trust in God's provision. Didn't say he's going to give you everything that you want, but he'll give you everything that you need. And guess what? You don't need to worry. Hey, be happy. God's in control. And then we finally saw we've lost our sense of celebration. And we're walking around just as gloomy as the rest of the world. And because of that, you say, okay, so I'm just not the biggest body of joy, you know, and witness for people around there. Excuse me, what do we see? Flip it around. Here's what's going on. When you're out there living like that as a Christian, number one, you sh- shouldn't do that. Number one, it's not a good advertisement, but we're giving people the impression, hey, join the church. Come on, Jesus is all you need. Be like me, a body of dead, depressing people. And last time I checked, if that's all I ever saw from Christians, I wouldn't want to become one, would you? Let's be honest. And we don't have to if we get back to understanding who we are as the church. If God says it can happen, we can be joyful. Always guess what? By his spirit is possible. It's not a pipe dream. And that's good news. Why would we resist that? But that's not all. The fifth thing we need to know about the church, if we're going to stop acting like we got practical amnesia, is the church is to be a body of love. Turn to somebody and say it again. I love you, man. I love you. It's awesome. <laughs> And folks, I'm telling you, all the other ones we've already talked about are huge witnesses. But I'm telling you, Jesus specifically calls this aspect out. That when we love one another, it's a huge mega opportunity to share the gospel. That's when people know you're a real true born again Christian. Okay? Now, I didn't say it. He did. So open your Bibles to John 13 as our opening text. John 13 is our opening text. Of course, John was written by John, you biblical scholars. Hey, we got some Texas on the second row right here. Good to see you, man. John 13, let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word. Verses 33 through 35, just a few verses, but man, they're enough to chew on for a long time. And of course, Jesus speaking here, and notice what he says, John chapter 13, starting with verse 33, right? It's in red, so guess what that means? Jesus is saying, right? Here's what he says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. In fact, he says, you're going to look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Right, So he's getting ready to leave. He's eventually going to ascend to the right hand of the Father after the cross, of course. And being resurrected from the grave, he's going to go to the Father, right? And at this time, we're not able to follow, obviously, certainly in this context too, uh, with the disciples. That'll come later, okay? But he's getting ready to leave. So, and he's leaving, and he's going to leave some very important instructions. Now, notice what he says here in this. He says, a new command I give you. Hate one another. Despise one another. Gossip and slander one another. Cause trouble with one another. Just talk behind each other's back. You know what? Just cause a bunch of trouble with one another. Yeah! I'm sorry, wrong translation. What's he say? How many times have we read this, folks, and it just goes in one ear out the other? And I'm talking as Christians. Love one another. Love one another. In fact, why? He says, because, hello, what am I asking you to do that I haven't already done? As I have loved you, so you what? Must. Notice that's an imperative. That's an order. That is a command. You have to do this. Christian, you have to. Man, you can do all kinds of things, man. You can serve in all kinds of ministries. You can do all kinds of Christian stuff, right? You can help out in this. You can help out in that. And you can do this. But you must do this. And what's he say? You must love one another. Now, why? Because here is the payoff. By this, what's this? When you love one another, all men. How many men? All men, I don't care what country they come from. I don't care what backgrounds. I don't care how much they couldn't stand God before. But when you do this, all men will what? Will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You may be seated. Wow, this sounds like it's a pretty important thing. Uh, A great, wonderful, universal truth. God says here, man, if you and I want the world to know basically that we really belong to Jesus, what do we do? (laughs) We buy that Christian t-shirt. That's what we do. We put that Christian bumper sticker on there. I love Jesus. 
Well, that's great. But what's he say is a much more effective thing. He says there, if you want the world to know that you belong to Jesus, what do we got to do? We got to get busy loving one another. Why? Because here's the payoff. Listen, if people who have never seen Jesus are going to believe in Jesus, then the followers of Jesus must love like Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Listen, if people who have never seen Jesus are going to believe in Jesus, then you and I, the followers of Jesus, must love like Jesus, right? I mean, this is about as plain as you can get. So again, this is basic Christianity, right? Surely we know this, right? That every Christian who's ever lived knows that the basic biblical truth, how do you know they're the disciples of Christ? They love one another. Christians, they're different than the world. The world hates one another. The world's full of animosity and strife, and the world's always doing eye for an eye and two for three, but not the church. The church is a body of love where people take a look at us and go, whoa! Man, you'll never find that in the world. Look at these guys day in, day out. Every time they get together, they say, look at that group of people. They always get along. They never fight. They don't squabble. They're always helping people out. They've got to be disciples of Christ. Well, you'd think so. But apparently there's some problems nowadays. You look at most churches today, folks, it doesn't look like we're full of the love of God for the whole world to see. It looks like we're full of hatred, strife, and animosity just like the world. And so I'm saying, how could this be? I mean, after all, Jesus has done for us. And he says, if you love me, you what? You'll keep my commands. And he says, I give you a new command. Love one another. And understand how important this one is. This is the one that all people would know. You talk about powerful witness, this one. You've got to excel in this one. If you love one another. Folks, that's not what we're doing. Not even close. But why? Why are we looking so loveless? When the Bible says we need to be so loving. Well, a couple of reasons I want to bring out. The first reason why we look so loveless as the church is because here's what I've noticed, folks. Number one, we refuse to love the needy. We refuse to love the needy. Quote, unquote, you want to impress God of how awesome you are supposedly as a Christian? Then you need to do this. Read what James has to say, right? James chapter one, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. God, I just want to tell you, today I'm having a pure and a faultless walk with you. That's right. And I'm going to demonstrate it to you, God. How am I going to do that? That's right. I've got a Christian cross hanging around my neck. No, here's what he said is the acid test. You want to impress him, so to speak? Then here's what you do. You look after orphans and widows in their distress. And at the same time, get your feet out of this world. I love what he says here. Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Whoa. Think about that, folks. This world God considers, when you walk in this world, God considers that pollution. How many guys is somebody in your front yard, just you were trying to get out of the house and they threw uh, just a bunch of acid, just at, you know, sulfur, it's all kinds of acid and rotten chemicals and they just covered your whole front yard. You can't even make it to the car. But how many guys say, oh, well, I'll be fine. Right? And that's how you would walk, apparently, as you're going through acid. But <laughs> no, it'd be ridiculous, right? It's crazy. That's what God says. When you walk in this world, that's what's going on. It's pollution. Get out of that. But not only that, stay away from the world. What's he say? You, you want to impress God? You, you want your relationship with God to be considered pure and faultless by him? And if there's anybody you want to please, guess who it is? Yeah, it rhymes with God. Okay, what do you do? He says, not only stay away from the pollution of this world, get your feet out of that. He says, you are to give away God's love to the people of the world. And notice to whom that love is directed towards, okay? It was to who? What's the context? The widows, the orphans. Can I translate that for you? To the needy, the people who need help, who are at various times in life, they just, they need help. And so that's what God's saying. I mean, so surely we know this. I mean, we know that we have to love the needy if we're gonna keep a tight relationship with God because listen, that's what Jesus did, right? See, we're Christians, we're the church. We're followers of Christ, Christians, And Jesus, we all know, he just kind of hung out with his own crowd. He just kind of stayed away from those stinky people. No, what did he do? In fact, it was the so-called religious people of his day. Don't you realize who you're hanging out with? Those dirty people. And he hung out with the tax collectors, which basically with the vernacular, hey, let's go to the IRS and make friends with them. (laughs) Because that's really what they were, tax collectors. Nobody liked the tax collectors. Prostitutes, sinners. That's who Jesus hung out with. And so surely that's what we're doing. We're just nothing new. He's led the way with love and and now loving the needy, hanging out with these people who need help. He didn't come for the righteous, but the sick. 
He's led the way. So that's what we're doing, right? Folks, are you kidding me? You go to the average church service today. What do you say? You don't see Christians busting their backs, taking care of the needy. You see them folding their arms, being selfish and greedy, just like the rest of this world. And you wonder why nobody takes this serious. And again, you might be thinking, oh, Pastor Billy, again, here you go. Again, you're blowing this thing out of proportion. See, you don't understand. You don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand my context. You don't understand what I'm dealing with. And you don't understand why I don't go out of my way to personally get involved in the needs of other people. I mean, number one, I just don't have the time. Whoa. Now, is anybody glad that Jesus had the time to make it to that thing called the cross? And you ain't got time to love people like he loved you? What? Whoa, 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 whoa. Sounds like your feet are in the acid and the pollution of this world and you're trying to justify it. But see, you don't understand. I, 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 I'm, just, I got, I got, I'm just taking care of my own needs. I, I ain't got time to take care of somebody else's. And besides, to be honest with you, those people kind of creep me out. And don't we have government programs for that stuff? Whoa. Folks, have you not read your Bible? What did Jesus do? He wasn't concerned just about his needs. He didn't cast his responsibility off to a government assistance program. Read your Bible. He went out of his way. He sacrificed his time day in, day out to hang out with who? Again, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes. Listen, even the outcasts of society and the religious people gave him heat for it. So I'm thinking, okay, that was then. That was those people called Pharisees that we all want to emulate. No, we don't. They're called hypocrites. But so we, we, we know this, right? I mean, if this is what Jesus did when he was on earth, then what do you think his followers, Christians, should be doing when we're still on this earth? We should be doing the same thing, right? Why? Because folks, listen, when we die and we stand before God, do you realize that's coming? There was a thing called the Bema judgment. It's not judgment for salvation. It's just judgment for rewards. Praise God, our salvation is complete and clear, amen? And that's why I'm not worried about ever going to hell. I know for sure I'm going to heaven, not because of me, but because of Jesus. But guess what? This little short, as James says, wisp, this vapor of life that we're here, just boom, today, gone, tomorrow, doesn't last very long. Bill, 80 snuck up on you pretty fast, didn't it? See, he can't even move. So it's whatever, let's move on. He's just stunned with that news. But let's just move on, shall we? But you know, our life is just so short. It's just, bang, bang. listen, in the short wisp vapor of time, this is our only opportunity to say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. You know what? You loved me and you rescued me from hell. I'm going to love people. You know, I only got this little bitty time. I'm going to get all eternity. And so I'm going to spend what little time I got showing this world that you're real and give them your kind of love. Folks, it's called the bane of judgment. What did we do with that little time? You know, one guy says that all we're given in life is a little bitty dash between two dates. What are you doing with your dash? And if you ain't loving like Jesus, even though you say you love Jesus, and you don't love the needy or could give a rip about people down and out, something's wrong. And you might fail the test, right? Did you even get a reward? But, but let's take a look at something. What is God going to ask us? Based on the biblical context here, what's he going to ask us on the other side? Okay, what will he ask? Hey, did you know that God is not going to ask what kind of car you drove? He's going to ask how many people you drove who didn't have a car. Hey, did you know that God, uh, you know, he's not going to ask what neighborhood you lived in? He can care less about that. He'll ask you how you treated your neighbors. Did you love them? Did you know that God won't ask the square footage of your house? Who gives a rip? He's going to ask how many people did you welcome into your house? Who needed a place? Did you know that God won't ask about the clothes you had in your closet? He won't even ask the size, uh, square footage of your closet. He's gonna ask how many people did you give clothes to that were in need? Did you know that God won't ask what your highest salary was? He could give a rip about what it ended up on. Uh, he's gonna ask, did you use your salary to be a blessing to others? That's why he provided that, by the way. Did you know that God won't ask what your job title was? Are you kidding me? He'll ask you, did you share his love to the people at your job, ever? Let me stop on that one for a second. This was years back when I first came here. I'm not going to mention any names. But I, I learned this later, that there was actually somebody here, obviously not here today, who I was told that somebody who's going here now worked with this person for something like eight years. Eight years. 
And this person was in leadership in this church. And they're long since gone after we went through what we went through. And you guys know. But this person told me, they, they, they finally found out about this person. They said, what, 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 wait a second, who? who? Who used to not just come here, but who was in the leadership? And you know what they shared? They shared, I worked with that person for like eight years. Every single day. Not once did they ever mention anything about Jesus. Not once did they give any clue that they were a Christian. They didn't ever invite me to church service. Nothing! God don't care what your title is. He don't care what money it is. Did you know that your workplace is a mission field? And so is your neighborhood? He's gonna ask you, man, did you share his love with the people? We're not called to be secret agent Christians. Say something. Eight years and they had no clue the person was a Christian? Something's wrong with that. Okay? Now, did you know that God won't ask how many friends you had? So what? But he'll ask how many people you were a friend to. Remember, we're witnesses for Jesus. Did you know that God won't ask about what kind of physical shape you were in? Okay? He's going to ask, did you take care of the physical needs of other people? You you starting to get the idea of what's important? Because we can get all kinds of things wrong, folks, but one day, myself included, we're all going to stand before God. And what did you do with your little bitty dash between two days? Have you gotten sidetracked? Are you being polluted by this world? I'm thinking that there's going to be a whole lot of Christians failing the test when they meet God one day. When you put it down to something very practical like that. And the point is this, if you want to live like that as a Christian, do you want to fail that test? You want to actually stand before God and have basically nothing to show? You don't want to have any uh, crowns to lay at his feet? It's not a competition issue. The Bible talks about five different crowns we have the privilege to earn. Revelation chapter four says we lay those crowns at his feet. Even the ability to get a crown came from Christ. We're not going to stand up there going, my crown's bigger than your crown. Hey, I got five, you got three. You're a loser. No, we have the privilege of laying something at his feet. But you go back to 1 Corinthians 3. It says there's going to be some people, their day, the day that is going to be tried with your time on earth, and it's going to be burned up. The wood, hable, straw, or is it going to be gold? Is there going to be anything left? And it says the people that basically did nothing, he says they're going to get there, they escaped the flames. He himself will be saved, but only as one who escaped the flames. You, we talked about this so many times before. You're going to actually get there in front of Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for leading me away and rescuing me from eternal damnation. Hell, here's a big old pile of smoke. No. And sometimes it's just as simple as looking around. Is this even your mindset? Who can I love in the name of Jesus Christ today? with the same kind of love he gave to me? Who? Or does it even enter your mind? But again, if you want to live like that, who cares? You're being radical. I feel sorry for you. But here's the punchline, folks. When you and I, there's, it doesn't stop there, unfortunately. When you and I as Christians refuse to love the needy, listen, we're not just jeopardizing a reward we could earn for Christ. We are keeping other people from coming to Christ. Because they're watching us. And the world will know we are his disciples if we, what if we love one another. But if we walk around in life as a Christian, all we do, our marching orders from the time we get out of bed to the time we go back to bed and we just do it again, like Groundhog Day. Then all we do is we live for our needs, ourselves, our time, ourselves, my way or the highway. What are we doing? It isn't just your season to be a body of love. You're walking around saying, hey, being a Christian is great. Don't you want to be one? You're acting like a body of greed. Because it's all about you. And I don't know about you, but man, if I'm a lost person, if that's all I ever saw was people walking around like that, I'd never want to be a Christian. Would you? They will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Starting with the needy. Oh, but here's one. And I'm so glad Jesus did this too. He led the way by example. The second thing is, we don't even love our enemies. In fact, we refuse to do it. We're just like the world. I'll take you to court. I'm going to sue your pants off. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Really? Well, let, let's take a look at what Paul says we need to be doing, right? Romans 12, 19 to 20. Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Wh- who, who's that for? What's the scripture say? Vengeance is mine, saith the lawyer. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. Saith the Lord, right? Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. Instead, here's your focus. He'll take care of it. God's not condoning sin. If somebody does you wrong, haven't you learned that God's got your back? He'll take care of it. Don't rejoice in their discipline or you'll get it too. But you know that you can entrust him. He'll take care of it. 
Nobody gets away with nothing. God always has the last word. Instead, your focus is to do what the scriptures say. What's that? If your enemies are hungry, what do you do? Feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And they will what? They'll be ashamed of what they have done to you. Now that's a witness. Whoa. So here the Bible says, man, the best way to get rid of your enemies is right here in this text. Now, why would we resist this is beyond me. This is good news, right? Because what if I, uh, were, hey guys, just want to let you know, today I have stumbled across an ancient secret guaranteed to work. You don't even have to go to a seminar. You don't have to buy a book or nothing. I'm just going to flat out tell you. I just want to blush your socks off today. I have discovered a secret that works to get rid of 100% all your enemies for all time. Are you ready? How many guys say, no, back off. Don't you dare share that with me. You'll ruin my day. (laughs) Well, that's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, listen, here it is, guys. Here's the great news. You want to get rid of those enemies? You want to get, you don't have to live like that anymore? All the fighting, striving, strife, and the animosity, I can't stand that person. Wouldn't it be great just to get rid of that stuff? Well, here's what he says. Here's how you get rid of them. You treat them like your friends. What a concept. You, you don't get revenge on them for what they do. You take them out to lunch for a cheeseburger. Hey, maybe even to splurge a little. And so we know this, right? This is basic Christianity. That we love our enemies if they're going to become our friends because, I mean, after all, isn't that what Jesus did? Romans chapter five, how many times do you got to quote this one? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He goes on to say that you were also ungodly. You were God's enemies. Not his friends. And yet he still died for us. So he's leading the way by example. Right? You want to get rid of your enemies? You need to treat them like your friends. But anyway, what's going on today? You go to the average church service, what do you see? You don't see Christians loving their enemies, seeking the truth. You see them doing exactly what the scripture says not to do. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Oh yeah, you do that to me? Watch what I do to you. And again, you might be thinking, Pastor Bill, listen, I don't know what happened to you. Somebody sprayed chicken juice. Maybe it was those chicken socks from last week and you're all fired up over that. But okay, so what? So maybe I don't make it a point to treat my enemies like my friends. But see, you don't understand. Isn't that always the comeback? You don't understand. See, you you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how wrong it was. I mean, uh, they, they don't deserve to be treated like my friend. You better wipe that off your mouth. Anybody glad that Jesus treated you like a friend while you were still his enemy? Jesus didn't love those who loved him. He, lived, he loved the people who hated him. Even the people who were literally murdering him and nailing him to the cross. And where he makes the statement, Father, forgive them. He's being murdered and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what to do. I don't deserve to be loved like that. Can I tell you something? You don't either. Amen. None of us do. But here's the point. I mean, we're Christians. We're followers of Christ. That's what that word means. We're the church, the body of Christ. We're his hands, his feet, the mouth points. We're the representation. We're the walking billboard for Jesus. And so it's common sense. If that's what Jesus did, he, you know, uh, and it turns out to loving enemies, then it turns out to be a fantastic way to share the gospel. What a concept. And uh, what are we doing? Hopefully the same. But we're not. But folks, you need to realize, I'm telling you, loving specifically the stinkers that God has specifically placed around. Did you know that? Now, they might be your neighbor. I'm not condoning sinful, rotten behavior. But did you know that God has purposely put stinkers around you? In fact, it might be close to your thing. Turn to somebody and say, hey, you're a stinker. Right? And then realize this. Did you know that each one of us is somebody else's stinker? That's called stinkology. For those of you wondering what class I got that from. (laughs) But he purposely puts people in our path on purpose who really, frankly, sometimes, God's not condoning nothing. They're mean. They're nasty. They're somebody you literally try to avoid. But you know what God says? I put that person there for you to love them to Christ. Because sometimes on this one, not just the needy, but when you love an enemy, that's the thing that finally, bang, 
breaks their heart. They're ashamed of how they lived and they say, I've got to become a Christian. I want what you want. True story, I've shared it before. But this really happened. You tell me if this guy's love in Christ had a profound effect on his enemy. It it was a seemingly normal work day for this average American Christian. His name was Rhett. Only did he know that on this day, an enemy was gonna start working right next to him in the next cubicle. And so being a Christian and all, Rhett, he felt it good to, you know, being a Christian, to welcome this new employee and, and said hello and introduced himself. But that's when the trouble started. As soon as this enemy found out that Rhett was a Christian, he began to laugh at him. He began to make fun of him, declare how stupid Christians were. So what did Rhett do? <laughs> no. He promptly invited his friend over for supper to give him a chance to meet his family. But even a nice home-cooked meal with a pleasant family didn't seem to make a dent with this enemy. He merely continued his tirade about how Christians were a bunch of mindless, brainwashed idiots who had to have somebody else tell them what to do. So what did Rhett do? (laughs) No, he invited his friend over to a Christian singles group because he knew his enemy would never go to a regular Sunday church service. He's looking for any angle. But while he was there at this Christian singles group, listen, his enemy defied the leader during the whole devotion time, staring him down in anger the whole time. And then when they were supposed to uh, pray, he refused to bow his head in prayer and just looked and glared at everybody. And then when it was time to ask for prayer requests, others were praying for their loved ones to be saved or be healed. And well, this enemy spoke up in public in that meeting in complete mockery of God and said, oh yeah, I want everybody to pray for the dying slugs and snails in the world. So what did Rhett do? He simply prayed to God on behalf of the dying slugs and the snails in the world, just like his enemy requested. But one day, Rhett told uh, his enemy that his family was moving across the country, and he'd probably never see him again. But even despite the fact that Rhett had continually invited his enemy into his own home, constantly took care of him, took him out to eat for free, chauffeured him around town, whatever he wants to do, on his own gas, his enemy didn't even have the decency to say goodbye. So you know what Rhett did after that one? He just kept praying for his enemy, even though they were miles and miles apart. But that's when months later, at another workplace, 2,500 miles away, Rhett got a call from his old enemy. And naturally being surprised at the call, Rhett asked his enemy why he was calling him. As it turns out, Rhett's former enemy had not only become his friend, he was now his brother in Christ. Why? Because Rhett's love for his enemy had enabled him to become a Christian himself. Now, some of you have heard that story. Rhett's enemy was me. I was his stinker. And I wasn't just a stinker, I was his enemy. That's who I used to be, just the tip of the iceberg before I came to Christ. But it was Rhett's love for who I was a wretch to him. I was mean to him, nasty to him. And he still loved me. It radically changed me. I never gave him the satisfaction that he was making a dent. But that kind of love changed me. And the point is this, when are we gonna realize that when you and I as Christians refuse to love our enemies, we're not just jeopardizing our walk with Christ. We could very well be keeping somebody from coming to Christ. Why? Because when all we do is repay others for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, what are we doing? We're not just ceasing to be a body of love. We're walking around, hey, become a Christian. Jesus is great. He'll change your life for the better. Join us, the body of vengeance. No, thank you. I see that in the world everywhere. I don't want to become one of yours. And what Jesus say? Oh, you can do all kinds of great stuff. You can do all kinds of great ministry. But listen, if you only love those who love you, who cares? Even the Pharisees do that. Even the tax collectors do that. Even the IRS loves their own kind. And Jesus is saying it's this kind of love for your enemies that radically shows them what? If you love one another, that person's a Christian. That's a disciple of Christ. All men can understand that aspect. And sometimes that's what it takes for them to become a Christian themselves. The final one, folks, the third reason why we look so loveless, this one blows me away. I mean, you could you, you, you see the rationale for the other two. Well, I just don't want to get involved with the needy. Well, you don't understand what they did to me with the enemies, but whatever, still no excuse, Right? This one you would think would be the most easiest one ever. But this one, I can't believe how untrue it is. We, we do the polar opposite of what we're called to do. And that's this one. The third reason, we refuse to love God's family. 
I'm talking about your fellow brother or sister in Christ. You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. Now, it's not just you got to be kidding me, but you got to be kidding me when you take a look at what the scripture says about this kind of behavior. Did you know that God gives you an acid test? There's several in the scripture. I'm just going to bring up one. But he gives you an acid test to show you who the real Christians are and who the fake Christians are. Do you realize that fake Christians go to church services? Do you realize that? We've dealt with that many times in the scripture already, right? Well, this is one of those signs. How do you know when somebody's a fake Christian? Oh, they go to church services, but that don't make you a Christian. Oh, they dress up like a Christian. Look at that tie, Pastor Billy. That's snappy. That'll make you a Christian. How do you know they're really a Christian? How do you know that they're really not fake and they're still a child of the devil? Because there is no middle ground, right? Well, here's the acid test according to John, right? Oh, John, by the way, is the same one who wrote John 13 about loving one another, right? Here's what he says. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Now, there it is. There's your wonderful acid test. I mean, again, have you guys ever gone to, remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago? You ended up going to a church service and you sat next to that person, Now, why was that person acting like that? Wouldn't it be great if somehow you could know whether or not that person really belonged to Christ? Wouldn't it be great if you can go to a church service, and we're not the fruit inspectors, but wouldn't it be nice if you could know, wow, is this really a a good godly group of Christians? Or is this full of a bunch of fake Christians? I mean, wouldn't that be kind of a good thing to know? Well, here it comes, here it comes. And I'm not making this up, I'm just quoting the Bible. Here's how you know. The children of God, the real ones, and the fake ones who are the children of the devil. Here's your acid test. Ready, go. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor anyone who does not what? Love his brother. Whoa. Man, Bible says, man, if you want people, you want to prove to them that that you're no longer a child of the devil and you actually become a child of God, what do you got to do? Number one, keep God's commands. As a way of life, we're not perfect, myself included. We're going to stumble and bumble. That's not what he's talking about there. But something's changed. Sin actually bothers you now. Where it didn't before, it's kind of a good test. But the second thing is the one I think we skip over all the time. I mean, what do you say? And anyone who what? Does not love his brother. Who's the brother? Somebody out in the world? No, the context is the church. If you refuse to love other Christians, you're a child of this devil. Wow. Now, folks, what did I just say that was unbiblical? Nothing. I'm just quoting the Bible. But we skip over that one real fast. You want to prove to God that you're the real deal? You want to prove to the world that you're the real deal? You not only keep God's commands, but you love people in the family of God. Oh, I didn't say they weren't going to get on your nerves sometime. But as a pattern of life, you love the church, you love the people. Okay, some of them's got warts, bumps. Get that. Some people, no matter what you say, that every week they still eat chicken. They're going to get on your nerves. What are you going to do? But you still pray for them. God deliver them from that foul meat substance. You know, all that, you know, classic prayers that you should intervene for your brother and sister in Christ. No, no, seriously, we're going to get, that's not what we're talking about here. He says, listen, you have to love, you have to love the family of God. This is just, and and again, this has got to be the easiest one. Again, the needy, ah, they kind of, the enemies, oh, but come on, the easiest one. This is like a a soft, just a a quick softball pitch. Catch here, this is easy, right? You just, we're loving God's family. Of all three of these commands to love one another, this is the easiest one, Right? Man, folks, you've been there. You go to the church service today. What do you see? You don't see Christians loving each other because God loves them. You see them kicking and screaming, gossiping, slandering, causing tons of division wherever they go. In fact, they specialize in letting other people know just how rotten other people in the church are. Who made you judge, jury, and executioner? That's God's territory. Your business is to love the needy, to love your enemies, and get busy loving, yes, even the stinkers out there and even in the church. Why? Because we're the family of God. 
I mean, we should be able to demonstrate to them that, listen, we got all kinds of backgrounds. We got all different kinds of ages and size and shapes. But listen, one thing that you can bank on, we're a family. I don't know about you guys, at least in my family, if you're a crone, listen, maybe we don't always agree on everything, but we will rip the shirt off our back. Now that's from a non-Christian perspective. It was drilled into me. Then how much more then as a Christian, as a family of God, listen, we may not always be the best of friends, but when the rubber meets the road, I've got your back, brother. I've got your back, sister. We're the family of God. And you live like that and the, the world goes, whoa, I've got to have that. But that's not what we're doing. And again, you, you, here it comes. But you don't understand. So I don't get along with everybody in the church. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how wrong it was. And listen, they don't deserve to be my friend. You better wipe that out of your mouth. And I don't know how far you can push that mentality and keep it up. Because what's the acid test? You want to keep that up? You want to keep basically the track record of your existence in church services is nothing but causing trouble wherever you go. Maybe, just maybe, it's because you don't really belong to God. You're a child of the devil. Isn't that what the Bible said? And is that something you want? I don't know, where's that proverbial line? Where's that invisible line? How far can you push that and somehow still be a Christian? I don't know. But is that the standard that we follow? Let's see how close I can get to that proverbial edge and be a fake Christian and somehow still come out being a Christian. No, what's the standard? The standard's Jesus Christ. I need to love everybody. I need to love the needy. I need to love my enemies. I need to love God's family. Come on, that's an easy one. Can I tell you something? Even the natural world knows better than that. Even animals inherently know you need to take care of your own kind, including risking your life, if need be, for your own kind. Like this dog, watch this, this is wild. This is truly amazing. Here's a dog who's been hit by a car trying to cross the road. There he is trying to cross the road, and he gets hit, and is now just lying in the middle of this busy highway, and a second dog spots him and tries to get over to him. Here's the first dog again being hit. He's lying there in the middle of the road, busy time of the highway, and here comes the second dog who grabs him, not by with his teeth, but actually gets him with his paws around his neck and drags him in the middle of all this traffic off the road to safety, little by little, inch by inch. Finally, some workers spot the dogs and come over and help them. And by the way, the injured dog lived. A dog. A dog, yeah, you know where I'm going, was willing to risk its own life and save one of its own kind. Do you get it? A dog. Why isn't the world clapping for us? Yeah, look at those Christians. Look at how they love. They may not always agree on everything, but man, they've got each other's back. Christians, yeah. Why can we only clap for a dog? I'll tell you why. Because we're not loving one another. We can't even love our brother, sister, and Christ like a dog does. And yet, Jesus was bruised and beaten and battered and murdered on our behalf. And you still act like that. Are, are we acting like the best of friends? Are we somebody else's hero? Are we willing to put our lives on the line for a fellow brother or sister than Christ? Then can I drop the bomb on you? That dog is a better Christian than you. And not only that, 
you better commit this to prayer to God. If you don't love your brother or sister who is also in Christ, then maybe it's because you don't belong to Christ. I didn't say that. God did. And how far do you want to push that? And this is why I say it every time, folks. If we can't stop playing church instead of being church, maybe it's time you get out of the church. Why? Because being a Christian is not a game. What we say, what we do, how we live affects people's eternal destinies all around us. And so it's high time we get rid of this practical amnesia. We've got to remember who we are. We are not a bunch of greedy, vengeful, hate-filled people. Are you kidding me? We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are to be a body of love. Just like he loved us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court 
The gavel's been passed. The judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, you even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.